This week in KMA Land, Fremont County Supervisors OK Wind Turbine Project, Page County Decision on Shenandoah Hills Project still in limbo, Johnson Brothers Mill Project gets council support, Agriland FS Expansion Project gets the green light in Clorinda, pro-choice protesters speak out in Red Oak, and Green Plains takes center stage at Skia Banquet. I'm Mike Peterson. Fremont County was the locale of the latest chapter of KMA's long-running daytime drama as the turbine turns this week. By unanimous vote Wednesday morning, the Fremont County Board of Supervisors accepted Invenergy's application for the proposed Shenandoah Hills Wind Energy Conversion System planned for portions of Page and Fremont Counties. Board members took action following a marathon public hearing in which residents spoke out of the project's pros and cons. Brian Langner is among the many Fisher Township residents in attendance of the hearing. Langner told the supervisors the only winner in the project is Invenergy. He argued the turbines would tear the county's social fabric apart. The energy is going to go into the grid. It is not going to help our energy costs one bit. It is going to continue to tear apart our communities and furthermore, we have to look at each other when we go to the grocery store, the gas station, wherever. And ultimately, if the considerations of the residents of Fremont County are not considered by this board in terms of the betterment of our county, we will certainly speak at the ballot box. Other opponents, like Tandon Van Syok, stated the company had yet to release results of an environmental study and questioned the project's impact on CRP grounds and wildlife. You guys need to do your research and really ask the question, is this right for us? Because it's not. And it's ironic that solar states in there protects property values. Their statement of intent doesn't state that. They don't care about us. They don't care about any of us. It's all for the dollar. Ida Van Syok, meanwhile, claimed Invenergy misrepresented the population size on its provided setback map. Others told the board many homes located next to the proposed turbines were not included in the project map itself. Concerns regarding the turbines decommissioning and clashing viewpoints regarding the noise generated from the machines were also aired. Supporters like Penny Bredensteiner argued the turbines would provide clean energy and boost the county's economy. This will help the tax base, I think, a great deal. It will bring money into our county, which has no industry and no major industry coming into it. I just was at uh, Sun Valley Lake. They're paying by the inch on taxes. We have nothing in comparison to bring tax money into our county. Mark Crawl, a development manager with Invenergy, says the turbines would generate $27 million in property tax revenues to Fremont County and that participants would receive $1.5 million in annual payments, thus providing the county an economic stimulus. So it was brought up previously that you know tax dollars go away and go other places. That's absolutely not true. Those dollars for the project stay here in the county. This is a project that allows some of our participating landowners that have agricultural operations to add to that and to have a project that allows them to kind of ride out the ups and downs and stay here in Fremont County. Crawl added the company's application met the requirements stated in the county's existing wind turbine ordinance. After hearing comments for more than two hours, Supervisor Chris Clark motioned to accept Invenergy's application. We have an ordinance in place. We have, if, if this application would have been suggested by our attorney, our engineer, 
we've reviewed it. Um, is it my opinion that, uh, and I'm going to make a motion that we approve the, the wind energy system project. Fremont County's board took action as a Page County decision remains in limbo. Page County Supervisor Jacob Holmes advised his Fremont County counterparts to act cautiously. Stating Invenergy has threatened to sue Page County, Holmes says his board retained Allers and Cooney as legal counsel amid several questions regarding the project, including the turbine's impact on a radio station's KYFR signal. Along those lines, meeting a regular session Tuesday evening, the Page County Board of Supervisors heard an update from Jenny Burkheiser, who serves as Director of Compliance and Public Affairs for KYFR in Shenandoah and Family Stations regarding concerns with the Shenandoah Hills Wind Project. Burkheiser says an agreement has not been reached between her company and Invenergy on handling three turbines falling within three kilometers of KYFR's AM transmitter towers, which would go against FCC guidelines without proper mitigation measures. Reading from a statement from Family Stations President Thomas Evans addressed to Invenergy, Burkheiser says the radio company is holding off on a meeting with Invenergy until they've reached all necessary information and engineers have completed the required surveys. When a person pushes on a door too hard, one often begins to wonder why. If something is good for people, then there's no good reason to be too aggressive. Rather, one can have confidence that good rightness and truth will prevail. With respect to this proposed project, if it's so good for the communities, their health, and their quality of life, then the Wind Hills project should be shouted from the rooftops and celebrated by everyone. However, from what I understand, there are many people within the community and even on the county board who have serious doubts about this project. The board had previously tabled action of the project's permit application primarily due to the complication with FCC guidelines. Burkheiser says initial assessments from their engineering consultants, including Ben Dawson with Hatfield and Dawson Consulting out of Seattle, suggest significant interference would likely occur. He confirmed just on some preliminary results that electrically conducting vertical structures located near the vicinity of a medium frequency AM antenna system, especially those that are highly directional, which KYFR is, can produce modifications of the radiation patterns of those antennas. And that's the reason the rules of the Federal Communications Commission contain procedures for evaluating those effects. Invenergy officials did include in their permit application the possibility of a detuning process that could lessen the interference. However, Burkheiser says more information and communication are needed between family stations and Invenergy to complete a comprehensive analysis. Mr. Dawson initially uh, studied the nighttime antenna because it's the more complicated and restricted of the two patterns. Um, and there's a lot more information that uh, he said would would be helpful. So we will be working with Invenergy to try to get that information. But um, at this point, um, even just, you know, the results we have preliminarily show the, the innermost turbines will create a substantial distortion. The board is still waiting to hear back from legal counsel on the possibility of reducing the proposed project boundary area, which is currently more extensive than the proposed turbine area due to the amount of land signed on for the project. Additionally, the board had no updates and a request for the complete environmental study from Invenergy or one turbine near the Wabash Trace Nature Trail that falls within a half-mile setback laid out in the county ordinance for all, all, all other parks or areas not listed as a state or federal park or managed by Page County Conservation.
Renovation of a venerable building in Shenandoah cleared another major hurdle this week. At its regular meeting Tuesday night, the Shenandoah City Council unanimously approved a resolution to support for Malosia LLC's renovation of the Johnson Brothers Mill building at 818 West Sheridan Avenue. Council members took action after no one spoke for or against the project at a public hearing. Malosia owner Margaret Brady is spearheading the vacant structures renovation. Brady told KMA News she's pleased with the city's support of the project. I've been 100% happy with all my relationship with everybody on the council and the mayor and the city attorney and the AJ and just everybody's been really supportive in this process. Greg Connell did a lot of help to help us figure out how to do this TIF process, which is a little, you know, it's not something I deal with very often, so it was a little bit outside my realm. So it's been really a good process and I'm excited to get that project going. Plans call for renovating the structure into a warehouse and workshop to store rescued building materials for later use. Retail and office space is also included. Brady says the first task is to remove materials from inside the building deemed by city officials as a derelict property. If you've ever even driven by that building, you know it probably has some stuff in there that needs to come out. So the first thing we're going to do is demo out floors one and two. So it's like the storefront and then the offices above that. And then it still has the old mill equipment in there, so that's going to have to come out. So there's, there's quite a bit of work to do inside. And the tuck pointing, he thinks he's going to be able to start in October. So hopefully that'll be in a, just in a few months. They'll start making the outside look better. Next step is for the city to approve a tax increment financing package. Brady and Melosia are asking for up to $250,000 in TIF funding. Members of the Johnson family donated $165,000. In addition, Brady pledges both funding and labor for the project estimated at $502,000. Clarinda City Council this week gave its blessing to an expansion project at a local business. Meeting in regular session Wednesday night, the council held a public hearing and then approved plans for an anhydrous ammonia expansion for Agriland FS. Justin Livingston is a drafting and permitting specialist with Agriland FS. He says the company is planning to add a 63,000-gallon anhydrous ammonia tank on the east side of the property. The two tanks we have there currently um, are going to be, from what I'm told, out of commission in the next in the next few years. Um, what we'll be adding with this is adding more storage space, um, so less less hauls coming in um, to fill in. So keeping keeping trucks off the road. Um, also a little bit farther away from town, so I think overall it'll be end up being a being a good thing. The building permits approval came after no one spoke for or against the project at a public hearing. Last month's U.S. Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe v. Wade sent shockwaves across the country, sparking outcry from those both in favor and against the decision, including in KMA land. Southwest Iowa Indivisible held a rally at Fountain Square Park in downtown Shenandoah Sunday afternoon, stating its concerns and objections to the Supreme Court's 6-3 ruling, which overturned the 1973 decision granting federal constitutional protections to an abortion. Jackie Corden is co-leader for Southwest Iowa Indivisible and the Congressional District 3 coordinator for Indivisible Iowa. Corden tells KMA News she doesn't believe state lawmakers should be in the room on individual medical decisions. I don't want somebody in my my health care, in with me on my health care and my health care provider. I want my health care providers to help me make decisions. It's my body. Nobody could force me to give up a kidney. And so why can they force me to give up my life or anything else and interfere in my health care? Additionally, Corden says she's concerned about the dire situations all but banning abortions could create for those with legitimate health care needs. 
Dr. Glenn Hurst, a physician from Minden, was one of the speakers of the rally. Following the event, Hurst told KMA News the leak of the decision didn't reduce the amount of shock he felt when the court formally struck down the ruling. I look at my wife and I look at my daughter and I realize that they don't have the full rights of citizenship that I now have. And it's almost embarrassing uh, to, to know that they're in that situation. And then to see that Iowa is going to you know, pick up the mantle of leading in limiting these rights is just even sadder. Iowa Senator Joni Ernst reacted to Sunday's protest in Red Oak. In an interview on KMA's Morning Line program, Ernst expressed support for pro- protests by both pro-life and pro-choice groups. The way I view the Supreme Court's decision in the Dobbs case is really reflective of the science. I think that this ruling will save lives, and I do believe that it rightly returns policymaking power back to the American people and their elected officials. This turns into be more of a state's rights position and certainly people have the opportunity to go out and express how they feel um, as long as they are operating within the boundaries of the law. And I'm speaking whether it is pro-life movements or whether it is pro-abortion movements. Um, so certainly people can go out and peacefully make known their thoughts and feelings, um, but it, it needs to be fair across the board as well because we have a lot of really wonderful pro-life groups that are out there speaking about life and for life and the value of life. And uh, again, I think this this ruling will just return the, the policymaking power back to the American people. Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. Shenandoah is ground zero for a revolution in the biofuels industry. That's according to Todd Becker, Chief Executive Officer and Director of Green Plains Incorporated, who served as guest speaker at the Shenandoah Chamber and Industry Association's annual meeting at the Waterfalls Event Center in Farragut Thursday evening. Becker praised Shenandoah for its support in the company's continued growth since opening its facility in the community in 2008. He recalled how his company spent $100 million in constructing the original ethanol plant with an initial workforce of 36 people under a $2.5 million payroll. Since then, Green Plains has invested another $60 million in expanding the Shenandoah plant, which now totals 60 employees and a payroll of $5 million. Becker says the relationship with Skia, coupled with support from local, state, and federal lawmakers and the Iowa Economic Development Authority, have boosted the company's operations. Whenever we want to do something new, we say, where are we going to build it? We're going to build it in Shenandoah if we can. That's where we start. That's where we end. So, so when you thought you had... Thank you. Becker outlined plans for the Shenandoah plant's latest expansion, a $50 million clean sugar facility producing low-cost dextrose and fructose. Using a dry milling technique patterned by Fluid Quip Technologies, which is owned by Green Plains, he says the Shenandoah Bio Campus will produce a variety of new products, including jet fuel. Sustainable aviation fuel out of ethanol or alcohol is coming in our future, and I bet you in the next 10 years we'll be flying on airplanes that contain jet fuel made from alcohol right here in Shenandoah. I, I absolutely believe that. 60% protein that we're producing, reno, renewable low-carbon corn oil that we get out of the kernel, making dextrose and glucose into renewable chemicals or other products that we're going to do with our clean sugar through innovative technologies are all going to be part 
of what I call the Shenandoah experience. In addition to attracting investors in the trillions of dollars, Becker says the new facility will create high-paying jobs, luring young people back to the community. We are attracting college graduates again. We're attracting with engineering degrees, with technology degrees, with biology degrees, into high-paying jobs. And that's all going to be available in, your, in these local communities, in your local community. And for me, that's really exciting because we lost a lot of that. We lost a lot of kids to the bigger cities, and they're coming back because we can offer them amazing opportunities. Ski Executive Vice President Greg Connell says Shenandoah faced competition from other communities for the clean sugar facility, and he credited Becker with the decision to expand Shenandoah's plant. Connell says that decision will change Shenandoah forever. All the correspondence that I get from Green Plains concerning any potential uh, prospects for Shenandoah doesn't just say Shenandoah. They always mention the Shenandoah Biocampus. So in southwest Iowa and the ruralist of rural America, did you ever think that we'd be sitting here talking about a biocampus in our community? Other highlights of Thursday night's banquet included the awarding of this year's Ag Future of America scholarships to Shenandoah High School's George Martin and Evan Holmes and Essex High School's Riley Jensen. Also, Shenandoah High Ag Instructor Sarah F. Martin received the 2022 Friend of Agriculture Award. She's the first woman ever to receive that prestigious award. Opposition to a proposed carbon dioxide pipeline continues to mount in KMA land. The Iowa Carbon Pipeline Resistance Coalition, along with several residents of all political backgrounds, held a public meeting at the Firehouse Restaurant in Red Oak Thursday evening to discuss perceived dangers and the next steps in combating liquid carbon dioxide pipelines. Currently, Summit Carbon Solutions Midwest Express Pipeline, including nearly 700 miles of pipe in Iowa, would cut through a good portion of Montgomery Page in Fremont counties. Additionally, after Navigator CO2 Ventures announced a partnership with Poet Energy, the bioprocessing company's corning plant in Adams County is expected to join the Heartland Greenway Systems project. Jess Mazur, the conservation program coordinator for the Sierra Club Iowa chapter, calls the pipeline company's promises of a climate change solution a green scheme due to the carbon capture process utilizing an immense amount of energy. So these companies are likely going to be contacting your energy co-ops if you have RECs or whatever it is in the area. Uh, they're going to be probably trying to take a lot of energy away from local community members. We also know that that part of the process where you capture it, in order to compress it, it creates a lot of outputs in the process that are very dangerous and have to be disposed of. After a CO2 pipeline rupture in Mississippi in February 2020, Missouri says the U.S. Department of Transportation's Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration is still assessing the safety of that type of project. So why would we here in Iowa approve these now when the federal agency that oversees pipelines doesn't even know if they can be safe for our communities? And in Satarsha, and in the test rupture, 1,300 feet in under four minutes. Think of what's within 1,300 feet of you. I mean, that's very terrifying. That's very quick destruction of your livestock or your families. Or your neighbors. Concerns over the pipeline company's abilities to utilize eminent domain, the practices used by surveyors and land agents, and the potential crop loss for farmers were also aired. Caitlin Golly is a community organizer with Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement. While 35 of the 58 impacted counties have filed an objection to the Iowa Utilities Board, she says county boards should be looking into a possible ordinance for the specific pipeline should the IUB approve Summit's permit application. I mean, ordinances will include things like 
Well, Summit has to pay a certain amount of dollars for every roadway that they cross, for every river that they cross. They have to pay an initial fine just to enter the county. Jen Norris of West Township, who helped facilitate Thursday's meeting, gave some final advice to those impacted and not directly impacted by the proposed pipeline. Just say no to these easements. File an objection with IUB. Talk to your neighbors. Make sure they understand the dangers. Tell your board of supervisors you want them to pass an ordinance to protect us. If we stand united and lock arms and say, not on our farms or our neighbors, we can stop this. Thanks for being here. Golly says over 1,000 comments have been submitted to the IUB with nearly 97% in opposition. Planning for a comprehensive facility assessment continues in the Red Oak School District. Meeting in regular session Monday night, the Red Oak School Board heard a presentation from Ollie Pointer Macchiato architect Derek O'Neill, whose company was recently selected to perform a facilities assessment for the district and address the master facilities planning process. O'Neill says they kicked off the process Monday after meeting with a consultant specializing in accessibility needs. O'Neill says their guidance could be beneficial at Inman Elementary School. They also deal very much with the special education environment and a lot of the, access, the accessibility uh, and the universal design things that we will want to look at, particularly when we get into the elementary building. Um, so we're excited to have her on board. O'Neill says 3D scans of the current facilities are expected to begin next week, followed by condition assessment walkthroughs starting July 20th of Inman Red Oak Early Childhood, the early junior-senior high school, and activities facilities. He adds they'll also look at potential uses for the Webster and Bancroft buildings. Additionally, O'Neill says they'll look at a simple formula regarding enrollment numbers to determine if there is adequate square footage per student. We do a simple calculation um, with a kind of a top-down look of square footage, number of students, and then how many square feet do you get per student in your facilities. This is where you were um, at the time when we did this. We certainly will we'll go back through that again. Our target is always 200 square feet per student when you're looking at a, a K-12 O'Neill says they'll formulate critical and optional repairs and their respective costs for each facility. Ultimately, he says the hope is to create several possible implementation scenarios, or what he says is the bridge from the where are we now question to where do we want to be. Where the priorities are, what the solutions are, and some costs related to the different scenarios. And there'll be ranges of costs um, as there are on these, with each one of these implementation scenarios. Ultimately, we want to get down from five scenarios down to here's kind of the one vision uh, or, or one or two options that we want to see uh, moving forward. And O'Neill adds the assessment would include reprogramming each facility. This includes Inman, where he says they plan to address the space crunch right now due to an increase in enrollment numbers since the previous assessment. We use the term programming as when we start looking at um, number of classrooms, space, um, there's certainly some additional needs that you have there now that you didn't have at this particular time, different uh, principal in the building, uh, so there's a lot of things that have changed from when we looked at that originally. 
He adds the plan is to begin administration and teacher user group meetings at the beginning of the upcoming year and hold a couple of community meetings in the best uses of the Webster and Bancroft buildings. O'Neill adds they'll implement plenty of student and parent surveys throughout the assessment. And Shenandoah school officials took steps this week to lessen the economic impact of the new school year. By a 4 to nothing vote Monday evening, the board eliminated textbook fees and activity fees for PK-12 students for the 2022-23 school year. Textbook fees were $20 last year following an earlier reduction. But Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Carrie Nelson recommended a complete waiver for this school year, citing economic conditions and the, quote, challenges we're all facing right now. Last school year, we reduced textbook fees from $50 to $20 in an effort to be sensitive to the economic conditions and also noting that it's difficult to collect fees from some families. Nelson says the activity fee elimination is for students only. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com where you can hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.